In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. We live in the age of the gotcha question. Every politician, every political figure, every public person is subjected to these questions, and they are all designed to bring about harm to the image of whomever they're directed at. And we actually see this in our gospel reading for today. The Pharisees send a lawyer, not like one that you see on TV or maybe encounter in a courtroom, but an expert in the law of God. He's trying to trap Jesus. The context is important here. This is part of Holy Week. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to the adoration and the acclamation of the crowds and the disciples. The Passover was just a few days away, and that means that his crucifixion was also just a few days away. Matthew paints the picture for us that Jesus' final days were filled with confrontations with the Jewish leaders who were filling Jerusalem for this pilgrimage. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests, they were all looking for ways that they might entrap Jesus. After entering into Jerusalem, Jesus told parables that condemned both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, the parable of the wedding feast. After these, the Pharisees attempt to take their shots at Jesus by challenging him on paying taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees try with a question about the resurrection. And then the Pharisees try again here with this question about the law. In all three instances, Jesus silences his opponents. One of the questions on the the resurrection that, that Jesus answers, Jesus points them to the sure words of the Old Testament to prove that God through his prophets, taught consistently about these things. Now, as you all know from Christian instruction, the two parts of the Holy Scripture are the law and the gospel. Christians must know both of these parts. Asking questions about the law is not bad in and of itself, as some today might try to chide us. But... They are incomplete questions. Questions about the gospel must necessarily follow questions about the law. The law teaches us what we are required by God to do. The law teaches us that even though God has expected these things of us, we are also unable to fulfill them because of our fallen nature. And so the law, the gospel comes in. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross completely fulfills the requirements of the law and leaves no part unfinished. He has done everything the law has asked of us. He's feared, loved, and trusted in God above all things. And in his death, he has done, or he has allowed the law do to him what it should do to us. Namely, it has put him to death. We are still, however, beholden to the law. Even though Jesus has fulfilled the law for us, that doesn't mean we can just simply 
throw it out. So for instance, we can't just despise or anger our parents and other authorities. We don't do this to, er to earn eternal life, but because this is what flows out of the Christian faith. The law still stands. It is not destroyed. It remains for our sanctification, even for our upbuilding, our edification. It shows us how we are to live in this family, God's family, and how we are to treat one another. Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The gospel, on the other hand, tells us where we receive what the law demands. That is, Christ's atoning work for us. Now, after the lawyer questions Jesus about the law, Jesus then turns around and offers a challenge of his own. He asks, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? In his answer, the lawyer gets it half right. And Jesus uses this answer to give a more perfect answer once again from the Old Testament. He not only fills out the question about the Christ, but he gives us so much more in just one short verse from Psalm 110. He gives us the doctrines of the inspiration of Holy Scripture. He teaches us about the Trinity, the two natures of Jesus, and the atonement. Not bad for one little verse from the Psalms. Remember that the Jewish religious leaders were trying to catch Jesus in his words, to find fault with his teaching, to condemn him. If he dares to teach what they consider to be heresy, that is against the word of God, what was against their theology, then they would have cause to destroy him. There would be a loud and a swift outcry. But, but they can't find anything wrong with his teaching from Psalm 110. This confirms from silence that they believe in the divine inspiration of the Old Testament, the Holy Trinity, the two natures of Jesus, and God's plan for atonement in Jesus. This is telling about Jewish theology in Jesus' day. I know these things aren't really controversial among us, but they are controversial among your non-Christian or non-practicing family members, neighbors, colleagues, the people that you walk by on the street every day. And while they are not controversial for you, these doctrines do offer us comfort in difficult times. Jesus' seemingly passing remark about the verbal inspiration is given in the words, in the Spirit. He says, how is it that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? And in these three words, you have the comforting doctrine that the Old Testament is inspired. That means that you have the confidence that when you read the books of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, you have God's sure word for your comfort and for your consolation. However, there's more than this phrase, or there's more in this phrase at work. By saying in the Spirit, 
Jesus is connecting to another phrase. He says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. With these words, Jesus interprets the doctrine of the Trinity very clearly in the Old Testament. The medieval and modern Jewish idea that there is no Trinity was not held by the Old Testament writers or even by the Jews in Jesus' own day. In other words, Moses believed in the Trinity, especially when we hear about God's record of the creation of Adam, when he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Now, interestingly, these are just subpoints to Jesus' main argument. David writes in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus' main point here is to show that the Christ is not just David's son, although he really is, but that he is also David's Lord. David writes about God in the third person, the Lord, that is, God the Father, said to my Lord, that is, God the Son, David's Redeemer, David's Savior, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's as if he had said, God said to my son, the Christ, sit at my right hand, be equal in the Godhead to me until my promise of salvation is completed. David, a thousand years before Jesus' birth, is painting the picture of the Father elevating the only begotten Son to his right hand while his enemies, sin, death, the devil, the world, even our own flesh are conquered through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. This is the atonement. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to all the children of Israel. So David's son is also David's Lord. God has taken on flesh in the stump of Jesse. Jesus is true God and true man, and he has come to sacrifice himself on behalf of sinful man to elevate the family of God to our rightful place with him in heaven. This is what Jesus wanted for his disciples. This is what Jesus wanted for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And dear saints, this is what Jesus wants for you too. Questions about the law are good. God wants us to love him and he wants us to love our neighbor. And when you falter and fail in that, these things point us to our need for a Savior. These things point us to Jesus. So why are you here this morning? Where do you go when tragedy strikes? Where do you turn when life is uncertain? Where do you turn when those test results that you've been dreading finally come back positive for what you fear the most? or when your life or limb are threatened by disease or injury, or when death stares you in the face, or when the death of a loved one haunts you with unimaginable grief. 
Dear saints, the Holy Spirit turns you to Christ. He turns you to the Son of God in the flesh. David, through the Son of David, and the prophets in the pulpits today point you to Jesus, the only source of true comfort. Whose son is he? He is David's son. And he is the only begotten son of the Father. He is your Lord. And he is your brother. He has conquered his enemies. And he has conquered your enemies. And he has put them under his feet. In all of your trials and struggles, in all of your good times and bad, he is your comfort and he is your rock. All of God's promises for his people, for you, all of those things are fulfilled in him. Christ, through his death, has secured for you the Holy Spirit and fulfills the law on your behalf. For that spirit whom God sends into your heart for the sake of his son makes you an entirely new man, a new creation. And this new creation, which emerges and arises from holy baptism, fulfills with joy what now the law requires of us. What would have been impossible before is now accomplished by the Christ who lives in you. The new man forsakes the present life and the desires to die and to live with God in heaven. This new man rejoices in all trials and adversities and submits himself wholly and entirely to the will of God because God's will is always good. This spirit, which was secured and given by Christ, makes you an entirely new creation recreates you, restores you, reshapes you in God's image and causes you to be born anew in baptism. And in this new man, you rejoice in the sweet law of God, which is perfect, which is lovable, which is desirable, not of your strength, but in the strength of him who is in you. As the Apostle says, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so now, dear saints, in the new man, you can rejoice in these questions about the law, but you can also bask in the glory that God has prepared for you in heaven. Your enemies have been put under the feet of Jesus, and so now they are under your feet Two. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.